Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt here with Mike K, the latest episode of the No Huddle Show. We haven't done one of these midweek ones in a while when it wasn't like some breaking sort of news, uh, but we felt like it was necessary. There's a lot to talk about this week. There's a lot of interest. There's a playoff game. There's only so many games now in the NFL season. Uh, this game is just super intriguing on so many levels. I mean, I mean, we both didn't expect them to make the playoffs. You were more optimistic than me because I had no optimism. But we're, there, we're here now, and it is, it is pretty exciting going into this game. I mean, this is a really good team they're going against. It's a different path than they had to go on last year. Uh, you kind of get the vibe. The, the team's really workmanlike. Just being around them this week and last week, they're, they're not, it doesn't seem like they're, like they didn't celebrate as much as you would think they would, considering they get just snuck into the playoffs. Yeah, I think this is... We constantly compare this season to last season, and obviously it's a different team, different players, and stuff like that. Also, different beat writers. Um, True. But this is the exact opposite. You talk about different. This is the exact opposite road to the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, they were the one runaway one seed last year. They are the bottom of the barrel six seed this year. Yeah, Elliot and Lombardo didn't have to book any flights until the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean that, but there you, but like that's the thing too is they're going to be on the road. They're going to guaranteed if they beat Chicago, they're going to have to play in New Orleans, where they were absolutely throttled. Their only big defeat cut, of, of the year. Well, maybe we'll, maybe I'll even add, I didn't plan this, but maybe we'll add this onto the storylines we'll talk about. But that was like the turning point of the season, weirdly, and they've talked about that that yeah, game. Yeah, I mean when. You, but that, that that's another right. discussion. Your point is that about the road map. Right. Road, the road trip. Yeah, the road to the road to Atlanta is kind of paved with really scary looking potholes on the surface. I mean, this Bears team, this defense is phenomenal. Um I had them winning all but the or grading out better than all of the defensive categories other than the defensive line, and even that I wasn't very sure of coming into this game when compared to the Eagles defense. Then you have New Orleans, where that's like a buzzsaw. They haven't played as well. Down, they didn't play as well like the last three games of the season, and the Eagles are playing their best three games of the season, and hopefully they'll do so again on Sunday. So they have a lot of momentum. They would have a lot of momentum, but it's just, man, they're going to have to earn this one. Not that they didn't before, but they're going to have to earn it late. And, and Jim Schwartz kind of touched on that earlier in the week and said, you know, it was tough for them. They had to play their best football towards the end of the season when a lot of teams hit their stride in the middle of the season and then have like a nice, you know, rhythm going into the playoffs, they really just abruptly had to be like, you know what, it's do or die. But I think this team likes that. Yeah, I agree. So 
we're going to do a full-on preview like we normally do on uh, Friday, but I want to just run through some storylines today. We're, we're going to do seven. We added, I was going to do six, but you made me think of another one just before. So we can, we can even start there since we just talked about it a little bit. And that's that, that Saints-Eagles game, that had that being a turning point of the season. You know, Doug talked about, I think it was this week, he's also talked about it in recent weeks, like the, just coming out of that game, he really liked the way the team responded. He he's if, if Doug's anything, he's really good at keeping a cool head. And the way they responded, you know, you heard Malcolm Jenkins with his criticism that week after that where, he, where you know, guys were disagreeing with what he said, but he didn't like the way the team just laid down, he felt like. And they haven't done that since, and they're 5-1 and one since that game and one of the worst losses in team history. Maybe they needed that. Maybe they needed that game to wake, wake them up and realize, oh, maybe we're not going to be able to just coast through, like, barely winning or barely losing the rest of the way. Yeah, they came into that game, haven't, and they hadn't won a game, two games in a row all season. They come out of that game, win the games against Washington and New York, and then from there, lose a heartbreaker to Dallas, and then respond again, even though Nick Foles has to take over for an injured Carson Wentz and win three straight. That's impressive. That speaks to Doug Peterson as a personality manager, as a coach, as a mentor. Um, we were rightfully harsh on him in the first half of the season. But if you look at the work that he's done, that Jim Schwartz has done in managing these personalities, getting guys to step up in roles that really they were not meant to be in the Corey Grahams, the Wendell Smallwoods, the Haloti not like all these players are playing their best football towards the end of the season. And that's a sign of good coaching because for the majority of the season, I think it's fair to say they were mediocre at best. Uh, there were games that they gave up that they shouldn't have given up. The offense was lacking any sort of prowess whatsoever. The defense would drop huge leads. I mean, this is a team that has found itself. I mean, to go into the, the season, go into the postseason with an exclamation point with that 24 nothing win, Nick Foles has been knocked out of two straight games. They have not skipped a beat. They have not blinked. It's It's been fine. You know what I mean? And they've beaten, they beat three teams that were in playoff contention at some point in the second half of the season. Washington, sure, they had injuries. They beat up on a, a backup quarterback who was like the fourth quarterback they've used. But that defense still had some juice, I mean, in previous I mean, yeah, weeks. They were in it until week 16. Right. So I, I think <clears throat> you look at the resiliency and the resolve of this team, and I think that's what's most impressive. If you ask me, this is the team in the NFC I do not want to play. Absolutely not. I'd say the Ravens would be the AFC team that I wouldn't want to play. Yeah. And, I mean, speaking of just that resiliency and all that, I think that leads into the discussion about Nick Foles that we should have. I mean, he – I th- I looked this up earlier. He's 8-0 in in these two seasons with the Eagles. He's 8-0 in games he started and finished in December or later, which means the playoffs and the crunch time at the end of the season. And his numbers are something ridiculous, like – 2,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, and like five, five interceptions, which you, it doesn't really work like this, but projected over a full season for like perspective, that's like 3,600 yards, uh, like 30 touchdowns and 10 interceptions at, with a 70% completion percentage. Like that, that just underscores just how, that's like, those are MVP level numbers. Uh, that And he, he plays like an MVP at this time of the year. It's just something about him. And they, weirdly, it's been it's been different than the Nick Foles of last year. The way they use them, I think, is a little bit different. They don't do the RPOs like they, they were doing. They were going all in on RPOs last year. And he's told us, and Doug has told us, they haven't really been running that many of them. They might look like it because some of their plays look like they're RPOs, but it's a designed run or it's a designed pass. 
And on, another huge thing is he's thrown the ball as quick as any quarterback in the NFL uh, these last three weeks, which, you know, Carson Wentz wasn't throwing it that he was holding on to the ball a little too long. That was one of the criticism against him this year. Nick Foles just isn't doing that. I think you're seeing the effectiveness in that. You know, a lot of, a lot of talk has been about, uh, yeah, he's been really good down the field, but if you look at like his average, like air yardage, I think the athletic wrote something where he's only averaging like six yards in the air per attempt. You saw that last week, it was a lot of short passes and the bears are really good at stopping long passes. They have really good pass rush. And I think you're going to see a lot of that because they have a great rush defense too. So the substitute for like a run def- a running offense, if it's not working, is you throw a lot of short passes like that. Right, I agree with you. And <clears throat> I think the thing too with them is that you got to Kyle Fuller's having an incredible year. He had seven interceptions. Eddie Jackson, their free safety, had six interceptions. So that's thirteen interceptions between two guys in the secondary. Prince Mukamara's having a terrific year. Adrian Amos, former Penn State guy, is also having a really good year. Um, you want to keep the ball out of the secondary, I think, in this game. I think if you can come into the game similarly to how you you played against Washington, you know, short screens, short passes, run the ball efficiently, which will be a challenge because the Bears were first in the league in rushing defense. They only allowed 80 yards a game. So with Nick Foles, I want to talk about this because he has been under center quite a bit. They've been using him in different ways. I think this is a smarter Nick Foles entering this season. I think, as he says, he was just playing ball last year. But I think Nick's game has matured. But I also think the coaching has matured, too, in ways that they're putting him in position to succeed and not limit his effectiveness in one sort of system or scheme. And I think, you know, it shows the growth that Foles has had as a player, Peterson's had as a play caller, and potentially grows involvement in this entire pre-game pre-planning process. We were we've been very hard on the changes that have happened in this offensive staffing and, you know, the work with Nick Foles to me has been really really impressive and it's showing that Mike Rowe and and those offensive designers are have some feel for for Foles. Yeah, and I think it's kind of like a similar thing that the team dealt with last year. I know Frank Reich and uh, John DeFilippo were much different, you know, their backgrounds. They both had extensive experience. And, you know, Frank Reich just, he just sounded and looked like a head coach. But a lot of their ability to get the jobs they did had to do with the way they got Nick Foles ready for the playoffs and they had him playing the way he did. And I think you might see, maybe not with Mike Rowe, because I think he still has some room to grow as an offensive coordinator and he doesn't call plays. But a guy like Press Taylor, I mean, I I think this is going to do wonders for his resume and I mean, that might not matter anyway if his brother, Zach Taylor, who's getting a lot of interviews, just hires him as offensive coordinator. But I, the, the way they've gotten Nick Foles ready and they've catered the offense to him, that's a sign of good coaching. And, you know, you, there's a part of me that like also questions like why they weren't able to do that with Wentz, but he's also a different animal. You know, you you open up the playbook more maybe with, when it's Carson Wentz and you let him make a lot of decisions. Whereas Nick Foles, they do really a job of limiting it to what he's good at and they know that he can accomplish, whereas maybe what Carson Wentz can accomplish is like higher up here. Nick Foles is maybe a little lower in what he's capable of, but he can, he can in those things he does, he does them really well. And I think that goes into the coaching. Well, I think Nick is kind of touched on this point is he knows his deficiencies. I think Carson's still trying to figure out his deficiencies. So if, if you're an employee and you know, hey, I'm not good at this, this and this, but I'm really great at this. And you have a boss that's willing to openly communicate. It, it helps you put yourself in a position to succeed. Not that Carson doesn't openly communicate with Doug Peterson, but Nick's got perspective, you know, and I think he knows his limits. And so if 
the person who's mentoring you or, or, or uh, managing you knows that you're comfortable with yourself enough to know your, your weaknesses, you're going to focus on his strengths and put him in a position to succeed. And I think, again, that speaks to how good of a coach Doug Peterson is. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I just saw somebody tweeted something like the, the ranking of the top coaches and Doug's not mentioned. And then like the top five, <clears throat> which I feel like he had, he should be there at this point. I know, I know the beginning of the season was weird, but you look, he still should win the head coach of the year award for last year because it was criminal that he didn't win. I know McVay did a great job, but Doug deserved the head coaching <laughs> award. And he probably never would get it again. If you think about it, because it's all going to be relative that success he had his second year, like that coach of the year award, they need to like fix a criteria or something because in reality, Bill Belichick should have won it like a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. He has, but he should have won it more. But let's stick with coaching for like a second and take like a step back because this is coaching carousel season. And we, we talked about Press Taylor. Uh, I think there are three guys that to keep an eye on as potential guys who could leave uh, in varying degrees. And that would be Jim Schwartz, defensive coordinator, Deuce Staley, running backs coach, and Press Taylor, quarterbacks coach. How, how would you rank them, them from most likely to leave to least likely to leave? Um. You can't see my hand, but uh, I would put Jim Schwartz very far ahead of the other two. In terms of likely to leave? Likely to leave. Um, just because of his experience, he's been there before. Coaching, when you hire a coaching agency, I know this for a fact, you tend to, to lean towards guys experience. that are experienced because as an agency, you thrive on, on your success and going with the unknown is probably not a good idea. Uh, I also think... I'll say this. I've been kind of a mark for Jim Schwartz since I got here. I'm a big believer in what Jim Schwartz coaches. Does it always work out well? Does he call a bad play here and there? Of course. Um, But that said, getting upfield, having corners that can tackle, do all that stuff, there's a spot in the league for that. The thing, the knock going against him is teams are going to want to hire offensive gurus. That's that's all the rage right now. That's all the rage. It's what you want to do. Um, if you hire Schwartz, you're probably going to focus a lot more on the running game. You're probably going to focus a lot more on scheme defensively than you are offensively. Plus, you need to hire a really good offensive coordinator who doesn't necessarily want to be a head coach right away. So there's a lot of there's a lot of issues there. Uh, with Press, if people want to go the McVay route, he makes sense. I just think he's more of an offensive coordinator. Yeah, I, probably. I think he's tied to his brother is what, what it'll be. Right. And and if he doesn't get a job this year, he could get one next year. You look at how Nick Foles and Carson Wentz both have upped their completion percentage significantly. Um, I also think that they're they're looking down the field more, whether they're throwing more downfield. They're, they're actually really anticipating throws a little bit better this season as well, helping with the accuracy. And then you brought up uh, Deuce Staley. I think, look, I've watched him coach firsthand. I was at the East West Shrine game a couple of years ago when he was like the offensive coordinator, and he was incredible. He, I was sitting next to Teron Davenport, and the two of us were like in awe of how great of a communicator he, he's he is. He's a player's coach for sure. He is. I don't know if he'll get the job just because of how the running back struggled this year and just how the offense overall struggled. Yeah, yeah. Um. Do I think he deserves an interview? Absolutely. What, what about I, like as an offensive coordinator, not necessarily head coach, though? It's still, again, he's still probably not quite there yet. Again, yeah. the running back rotation wasn't terrific for most of the year. I like what he did with Josh yeah. Adams. Um, and he's dealt with a lot of injuries. I like the way he handled Jay Ajayi coming in last year. I thought that was really, really impressive. And, I actually thought he was going to get an offensive coordinator job out of yeah. that. Also, the underrated development of Wendell Smallwood. He's, yeah, sure. He looks at, he's, he's better now than he was his first two years. 
Yeah, I think I think it's a process for him. I really thought that he was going to get the offensive coordinator job here. And it's tough when you haven't seen a guy call plays. You really don't, you know, somebody who hires him hasn't probably worked with him before because, you know, he only really worked for Chip and the end of Andy Reid's tenure as a special teams uh, quality control coach. So unless you work for Chip, like Bill Lazor, maybe, you know, if he gets a job in Cincinnati, it makes sense just because he worked with him with Chip. But yeah, I just, I don't, I don't you know don't how it yet. It, it's tough, you know. Um, I mean, yeah, he hasn't. He doesn't have any experience calling plays. Like that doesn't always necessarily negate a guy from getting a job. But it does seem like there's a little less steam around Deuce than maybe there was this time last year. I'll give you a fourth guy who will not get a job. He will not get an interview, but absolutely deserves to get an interview. Is Dave Fipp. Huh. I think the way he has managed this special teams group over the last what seven, uh, six years is extremely impressive. Yeah. yeah, they haven't had the big splash plays that they've had in the past, but the way he's been able to, I mean, throughout all the injuries the last couple of years, he has really been able to recycle guys and still maintain a really good unit. Before we move on, just a team that I, just in doing research about the specific Jim Schwartz story, a team that I think makes a little sense is uh, the Buccaneers. Um, yeah, I agree with you. They have yeah. a really talented offense already. They're a team that is committed to Jameis Winston, which might deter some coaches from wanting that job, and I don't think it would deter Jim Schwartz. He'd probably just hire a veteran offensive coordinator. He has a defense with some talent and a couple of guys he knows pretty well in Vinnie Curry and uh, and Bo Allen. And I don't know. If, if there was a team that was going to at least give him an interview, I think the Bucks make a little sense. Well, and, and Jason Like is a former executive in the Eagles organization. I'm sure he still has friends here. He knows what Jim Schwartz's temperament is. Yeah, Tampa Bay has been the place that I've kind of circled for him for a, a bit. I also think he's the complete opposite of Dirk Cutter. Yeah. Schwartz knows how to work a room. He is He is open to the media. He is a guy that it seems like his players really buy into, like, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone complain about play calling. You yeah. have Corey Graham taking responsibility when he makes a mistake, as opposed to burying play calling. Jalen Mills obviously loves him. Um, Rasul Douglas was benched, basically, for the entire first half of the season, never said a negative word about Jim Schwartz, talked about his role. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. Um, and if you're not a huge fan of Jalen Mills... Maybe he becomes trade bait for the Buccaneers. Uh, but look, I think Jim Schwartz is ready for a new head coaching job. He won a ring here. I think his his worth here has been completely underrated. Um, and I think he's a really good coach. Did you know that the fans don't like him? I, I just learned this. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I hear they don't like Jalen Mills either. But um, yeah, I think that it would make a lot of, Tampa makes a lot of sense. The other team that makes a lot of sense, too, if he feels like he's not really a high-priority coaching candidate, is Arizona. So Arizona transitioned to a 4-3 this year. They're, they're so, also interviewing all offensive guys. Right. They, noted, they yeah. are, uh, and guys are turning them down left and right. Here's why. Steve Kime's still in, in, in office. For Wait, some reason. <laughs> for some reason. I, look, I used it's to one of the most it, confounding things. As a guy who used to cover the Jaguars, I used to find it laughable when like people would hate on Dave Codwell. Yeah, he hasn't had a good string of things, but you've got a guy like Kime and, and Rick Spielman. Kime, who not only has made put them in the position they're in, made a bad coaching hire last year, had a lot of bad draft picks, he got arrested for DUI, where that would, a lot of players would get cut on the spot for that. They, they call him the unsinkable Steve Kime, but that's only because he's in the desert and can't fall into a lake. Um <laughs> Here's the thing. If Kime has another bad year, you run the risk of of him being fired. And another yeah, so how G- appealing is of a job is that as a right, coach? Right, because yeah. another GM could come in and say, hey, I want my own head uh, coach. Yeah. Uh, also, you don't know what the deal is with Larry Fitzgerald. 
David Johnson had a down year this season. Uh, coming off of injury. I mean, it also depends on what you think of Josh Rosen, because there are some right. who are big on him, some who aren't. Rosen ha- Rosen was billed as the guy that was I still probably... like him personally quite a bit, but... I, I do too. Yeah. Ro- but, with that said, Rosen yeah. was billed as the guy that was the most NFL-ready, yeah. and, and he, he probably... had easily the worst year of any yeah. of the first Yeah, and he looks like the least ready, maybe. I mean, Josh Allen became a great runner. He still has a lot to do as a QB, but yeah. Yeah, I was actually really impressed. It's, it's with kind Josh of ridiculous Allen. how good of a year it was for rookie slash rookie quarterbacks. Like, well, this is a great class, and that's the thing. Kevin Clark um, from from uh, the Ringer from the Ringer wrote an incredible story this morning about how like all these expensive quarterbacks are not in the playoffs because you can't build around them. You know, some of these teams are built. If you if you're lose if you're you've been losing as of recently and you drafted a quarterback, some of these teams are built to win now because you can pay guys around them around these quarterbacks. And I think it's fascinating. It's something that Howie Roseman actually started, really, because he built around Carson with a bunch of one-year deals, and and they were able they were able to sign Nick for for very good money, and and really you know set this team up for success last year. And you're looking at all the stuff that they dealt with this year. Really, this team should have been eleven and eleven and five if you count the Tennessee and the Minnesota games, whatever. That's a pretty talented roster, and that's a roster that sustains even though the talent there doesn't actually stay. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's let's get back into some Chicago talk. Um, call this storyline Chicago ties because there's so many ties between these two organizations. We we'll use this to get to like the overarching relationship, which is a major topic this week. But let's just run through some of these because there's a lot. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey spent the first. Five. five years of his career with Chicago. For two of those years, he was absolutely phenomenal. He had like 1,300 receiving yards one year. They really liked him out there. I just don't know if they wanted to pay a guy who was injury-prone for them a lot of money, which is why he left. Um, Joe Douglas was in their front office for a, for a year before he got a better job with the Eagles. Uh, he, he'd think he just ran their scouting department pretty much. Yeah, he was their head of yeah. player person. And, and there's some of the guys that are on the Eagles now from that. But uh, – Oh, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, two of those are DeAndre Hall and Craven LeBlanc. DeAndre Hall was traded to the Eagles the day after roster or the day of roster cutdowns. He hasn't really played much. Uh, there's yeah, kind of like an one special team, yeah. So. There, there's an underlying storyline there where weirdly derived from a tweet I had from when I talked to him when he was first acquired, and he said something along the lines of like I asked him what 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 it was like to be around the Eagles and be around this team for the first time because it was like his first day. He's like, well, it, it's nice being around a winning culture or something. I don't, I don't know if he necessarily meant to talk the tr- level of trash that it sounds like, but that's what the that's what he said. I tweeted that. Bears fans got mad at the time. They brought it back up when the Eagles got destroyed by the Saints. Like there was a lot of people like adding him, and he wasn't responding to any of them. But they're like, so how do how do you feel about the winning culture now? How do you feel about so those those people will come back out on Sunday or they will be silent on Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, LeBlanc, we've talked a lot about him. Uh, we don't. I don't think we need to <laughs> dwell on that too much, but we'll probably talk about him uh, one of our storylines later. But uh, he he's been great for them, and he he w- he played quite a bit for the Bears actually. Yep. He didn't play much for the Lions this last year, but the last couple of years in Chicago, he played quite a bit. Um, let's see, Trey Burton, their tight end. He's a major part of the Philly special. He was a really good gadget player for the Eagles the last few years. Uh, they've done a better job of replacing him than Brent Selleck because of the, what Dallas Goddard can do. Uh, but he's their starting tight, and he's had a pretty good year. Not maybe not to the level of like his contract, but he's been solid for them. Um, there's there's some other ones I'm missing. Yeah, uh, Kyle and Chris Long. Kyle and Chris Long, the brothers. Uh, we haven't really had a chance to talk to Chris Long about that yet. 
but I'm sure that'll be because Kyle Long just came back because he'd been injured for a while mm-hmm. last week. He's an important part of their offensive line. He'll probably be blocking his brother at some point, you would think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, before I get to the big one, is there any I'm missing? Well, uh, um, you got Chase Daniel, obviously. Oh, Chase true. Daniel, the big. Oh man, that's the big one to me. Yeah, uh, Cody hey, Parkey. Cody Parkey. Um, and you know, you, you, Mike Mike Rowe. Yeah, Mike Rowe was their receivers coach with Alshon Jeffrey there, actually, yeah. for one year, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and then the big one, which has been a topic. You know, we've had some stories from both sides. Mm-hmm. Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy are really close friends. They came up with Andy Reid. They both, you know, Matt, Matt Nagy was telling us a great story because he I actually forgot totally about, like, this, where he uh, he was, a, like, an intern, a coaching intern for the yeah. Eagles, and Kevin Cobb got hurt, so they signed him to be a quarterback, he was only he only lasted there one day. He like got his family, everybody got tickets. There were like everybody was getting jerseys with his name on it. And then the NFL's like, yeah, you can't do that. You can't because <laughs> he was under contract with like the a- AFL still at the time or something like that. So the, he lasted a day, and he said it was really a weird day, an emotional day. But from there, he kind of rose up through the ranks with Doug Peterson. The three, Doug and him, spent a lot of time together. They were with the Eagles for a few years. They were with the Chiefs for a few years, and now they're both just two more segments of the Andy Reid coaching tree that. It's not underrated at this point because everybody's talking about how underrated he has been as like a developer of coaching talent. But you have those two guys. You have John Harbaugh, Ron Rivera, um, Sean McDermott. Who Leslie am I missing? Frazier was a head coach. David Frazier. Um, There's some other ones that weren't as good, but. Uh, uh, I'm Pat Shermer. Miss- yeah, Pat Shermer. Uh, there's ten. So. Um, but I mean, it's it, it uh, Todd Bowles technically. Yeah, Todd Bowles, and I mean, all these guys, at least the successful ones, carry a lot of the same philosophies that Andy Reid did. The way they approach things, the way that everybody who either works or played for them, like you're not going to find anybody who says a bad word about Andy Reid. You're not going to find anybody who says a word bad word about Doug. And oh, Brad Childress. It, Brad Childress. Yeah, he, he wasn't as successful with the Vikings, yeah. but uh, I mean, it's 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 great. I, I think that's a big part of Andy Reid's legacy, and even if he never wins a Super Bowl, he I. He has a case. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he's just yeah, changed. Sure. He changed offenses, but just that that storyline with with Matt and Doug, it's kind of cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, are you talking to yeah. me? Um, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no I think I'm talking to the other guy. In here. I think it's very cool in that they are pretty similar play callers. They both believe in spreading the ball around. They both believe in utilizing the running backs as receivers. Creativity. Yeah, the creativity is definitely there. Um, when you look at that side of the ball, the Bears, we'll talk about this more in the preview episode, but the, the Bears have a lot of talent. Allen Robinson is a similar talent to Alshon Jeffrey. Actually, very comparable. Um, the two guys that I really like are Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller. Those guys are unique playmakers, um, and I think Anthony Miller is a lot like Nelson Aguilar in a way. Uh, very good at getting open, very good route runner, uh, has the ability to run deep, has really good hands. And then you look at the Burton experience. Uh, he's developing into a really good tight end. And I, I think, again, his fit in that offense speaks to his fit in Doug Peterson's offense. You know, you can study it and see ways of utilizing him. Because as Nagy said on our conference call, uh, when I asked him about Burton, he said, you know, it was an unknown because he really had only played like 30% of the offensive snaps here for the last, for the previous two years. And so you didn't know if he could handle a full time 70 to 80% of the snaps role, but he's really kind of taken to it. And I know the stats aren't terrific. He's a little bit over 500 yards and I think he's five or six touchdowns, 
But when you look at all the weapons they have and how they spread the ball around, it makes a little bit more sense. He's also improved as a blocker, it looks like. So, I, I guess, how 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 much of an advantage, or do you think there is one in Doug over Nagy? I think the fact that he has never coached in a playoff game as the head coach is, is something to consider, but Doug had never either last year, and he was able to handle it. I think the experience of the roster is more important than yeah, the coaching staff. That's fair. Because this is a football game, and you are just training for an opponent and all that stuff. Now, maybe Nagy gets a little excited and starts looking ahead, and maybe that's part of the issue. But I think I, I think they're pretty comparable head coaches. I, I think maybe when it comes to risk-taking, Doug's a little bit more mature in how he's going to handle that. I think from an analytics standpoint, the Eagles have shown that they are very good about that stuff with numbers. Um Here's where I think it's interesting. Fangio and Schwartz, the two yeah. defensive coordinators, who are essentially the head coaches of defense. Fangio's getting a lot of interviews for head coaching jobs, by the way. Well, and Fangio's been to in the playoffs several times. He knows what 60 he's 60 years old. I didn't realize that until... Yeah, he's been around, my friend. He's been around. And I'm, I'm always interested when guys like that have never been head coaches, and then like they get to this age, and all of a sudden teams are like, wait, maybe we should give that guy a chance. It's kind of like what happened with Bruce Arians because it took mm-hmm. him a while to get that job. But it, that, that always intrigues me. Like, I wonder why that is. He's been close a couple of times. He's been a finalist, yeah. a reported finalist several times. But what I'll say is, is I'm interested to see like that chess match. You also have some talented guys who, I, like I said, I think the, the experience of the roster and their ability to handle adversity, the Bears really haven't been punched in the face this year. They just haven't. And so I'm wondering how they'll handle adversity if Nick Foles is able to, to lead to scoring drives to start and see where the offense has to come back from there. Yeah, you mentioned Jim Schwartz, the defense. Uh, I think there are two guys I want to talk about separately. We'll talk about the Bears guy first, which is, I mean, pretty obviously Khalil Mack. Uh, he's going to be kind of the, the storyline of the game for the Eagles offense. They need to know where he is. I'm, what I'm concerned about is – you know, the Eagles, the right side of the Eagles offensive line has been dominant lately. Lane Johnson shut down J.J. Watt a couple weeks ago. Jason Brandon Brooks actually had his first sack uh, against the Redskins since 2016. And he saw me tweet that, and he kind of made a joke about it. But it, he's been great for them this year. And Jason Kelsey, I think pro football focus, had him as the best center in the NFL this year. Far and away. But then you have the left side where I think there's a little, you're a little more questionable about what's going to happen. We don't know who's going to be at left guard yet between Sam Allo and Wisniewski. Uh, it seems like probably Wiz. I don't know if Sam Allo will be ready yet. And then you have Jason Peters at left tackle. Number one, is Jason Peters going to make it through the game? And number two, if he does, is he going to be able to play up to the level that they need him to? Because they move Khalil Mack around a lot, and I wouldn't be surprised if he spent most of the time on that side of the field. Because it's just easier to get to Car- uh, sorry, Nick Foles <laughs> when you're going around that route, especially if it becomes Vitae in there. That Then all of a sudden you need an extra blocker in there. Maybe you're not using Goddard as much as a pass-catching option. That That's one of my biggest concerns going into this week, that Jason Peters either doesn't make it through the whole game or he has a game that he can't control the athleticism of a guy like Khalil Mack. Which is why I would roll with Wisniewski at left guard. Uh, Get the veteran in there. He's the veteran. He's been through the playoffs. He understands what's going on there. Uh, Big V has also played next to him quite a bit over the, you know, he played with him during the playoff run last year. He actually seems to actually play better with next to Wiz as opposed to next to Sam Alu. So, um, I, you know, if Isaac's injured at all, I don't want him in that position, you know? Um, yeah, I think they will move Mac around pretty consistent, 
consistently, the left side of the line is obviously a weaker side than the right side, like you said. And I think um, you can bait Khalil Mack a little bit here. He's very he's a very sound football player. He's very good against the run. But if you can kind of do a lot of delayed handoffs, a lot of screens, a lot of the stuff you did against Washington I think would work. Or you just kind of, wherever Khalil is, you target the opposite side. And another underrated factor will be the running backs helping. Uh, and that'll be, I think that might lead to Darren Sproles leading the group in snaps. I believe he did last week mm-hmm. as well. They, they were pretty split evenly. We'll talk about that in the preview pod. They've gone back to a full-on committee, which is probably the right move. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Josh Adams should be a 20-25 carry a game bell cow yet, like maybe down the line. But Darren Sproles is their best protector in terms of running back. So that, that'll be something to watch. Yeah, and I think you can't use that full committee unless you have a guy like Sproles or a guy like Clement or a guy like Ajayi. So that's why they've kind of been leaning on Adams a little too much, I think. Um, I think getting 15 touches is fine for him. It's when you get to that 20 range that you're like, Meh. yeah. Um, they also used him a lot more as a receiver out of the backfield uh, against the Redskins. I'm interested to see how that plays out. I'm wondering if that's kind of like a red herring for the playoffs. Like, hey, you know. Like, look at what we do. Yeah, like, he's not just in there to run the ball. We yeah, know yeah, he can't yeah. pass for tech. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So, uh, I, I think there's a, there's a chance that they get away from running the ball in this game because the Bears are really good at it. And we'll see. I mean, that's probably the right move. I don't know as if if that short screen game is working, then then you could get the running game probably working. But it, we're gonna find out pretty early what their philosophy is going to be. I think you're, I don't know if we're gonna see an even split unless well, they take a big lead. Well, I mean, I subscribe to the Andy Reid thinking of the screen game is an extension of the running game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game. So like, so I, if you call it that, then yeah, they'll be running it a lot. Right. I, I exactly. I think. Uh, in the West Coast offense, you have to rely on that screen game to be part of the running game. It's why Brian Westbrook was never like a all-pro, you know, runner, but he was an all-pro player, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, dude so, did everything. Right. So, um, again, I think this Eagles team is set up to surprise a lot of people. I do think this will be a low-scoring game. Um, and, yeah, I mean, what do you got for your next category? All right, time for some Fletcher Cox talk. He, uh, <laughs> that's funny sounding. Cox talk. <laughs> oh, boy. Um he won NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah, <laughs> NFC Defensive Player of the uh, first time since I believe like 2016 or something like that because he had three sacks against the Redskins. Um, I still feel like somehow he's underrated around the league. Sure. Uh, people still acknowledge how good he is, but it's always like as like a disclaimer after you talk about Aaron Donald. Like, don't forget about Fletcher Cox, but Aaron Donald, he's amazing. Like, Aaron Donald's better than him, sure. But I think it's closer than people realize. Like, this dude had 95 pressures this season, which, according to Pro Football Focus and their database, that's the most ever for a guy not named uh, Aaron Donald at defensive tackle. Like, he's playing his best football of his career, which is saying a lot. And uh, I kind of want to explore this soon. I, he Another all-pro or two, and I think he's headed towards the Hall of Fame. He, he, he might be already, but if he gets, he'll need to get, like, those accolades probably because he doesn't put up like the sack numbers over the course of his career that like you kind of look for with that. But I, I think he's on the right path to the Hall of Fame right now. I mean, he's their best first-round pick. Uh, I mean, Trey Thomas is maybe the only other guy I'd kind of put like on his level of 
being a really good player for as long as he Yeah, has. like for consistently good for a long time. Yeah, like Mike Patterson had a long career here, but I don't wouldn't call him like a great first-round pick. He was a good first-round pick. Same thing I, as like Brandon Graham. Right. Like Brandon, Brandon Graham was good, not a great pick. Right. I, I, I think when you look at Fletcher Cox, what he is able to do for others is really his greatest strength. I think Donald helps a lot of other players too. Don't get me wrong. Don't get that twisted. But I think what's lost when you say he's underrated is how much he opens up the game for everyone else. And when I say everyone else, I mean literally. Everyone. You're, you're seeing Chris Long get sacks. You're seeing uh, Malcolm Jenkins get pressures and, and and blitzing off the edge. You see guys getting interceptions that probably. Or bad throws as opposed to incredible plays. And, and they are bad throws because of the pressure the defensive line is getting. Right. Yeah. He's able to take on double teams consistently. He's able to make Haloti Nada look better. He's able to make Trayvon Hester look better. Um, Chris Long and Michael Bennett have probably benefited the most from him. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's tough because... He's probably going to be a second-team All-Pro this year, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, you know, Do they do one or two defensive tackles? I thought they only do one. I'm not positive. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, is he is a guy that that will always be kind of in the shadow of Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald's a generational talent. Yep. Just like Khalil Mack kind of is. Um, and, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It, it, if Von Miller's the number two guy behind Khalil Mack as far as, like, multiverse linebacker, pass rusher, DNs, then Fletcher Cox is the Von Miller of, uh, of this of, like, defensive of like, tackles. Like, right. if Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox are the comparison, he's the Von Miller of the two. And that's a pretty good yeah. place to be. Uh, Von Miller and Fletcher Cox also have Super Bowl rings, Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack. Oh, there Donald. you go. So there you go. <laughs> so maybe they'll, they'll take being underrated then, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, they're paid and they're paid pretty, pretty handsomely. Pretty handsome. I think I think they're pretty pretty okay. Speaking of that, uh, well, yeah, so, I was about to say, apparently Marty Funkhauser yeah, died. Yeah, yeah. Breaking news. Man, man. I'm what, really sad. This is like what, what's that? What's the actor's name? Bob Einstein, I think. Yeah, yeah. He man, was incredible. he's hilarious. Yeah. Oh man, that, that makes me so. I love that show I so hope, much. I hope he finished all of his filming for the next Curb season. Yeah, because they were doing another season. Man. Um. We don't want to end on a depressing note. Well, I guess. This, this show is dedicated to him. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> What's your next? What, right, what do you get? What last you one. Uh, this one, you know, they were able to sneak into the playoffs. You know, we we were critical of some of the Harry Roseman's moves this offseason. Uh, I think rightfully so. But I think we talked about this the other day. Uh, he didn't necessarily make any moves that like were so bad that it hurt them. You know, we disagree with the Golden Tate one. You know, Haloni Nada. He's played better, but still don't know if that was the best signing at the time. And there's a bunch of stuff like that. But I thought it would be cool because there there's some like moves that maybe flew under the radar around the league that are the reason why they were able to sneak into the playoffs. And I think I wanted to rank our, our what we three think are the three best. Uh, and we'll go back and forth and start with number three. Before we do this, let me pitch to you. I just wrote a whole grade on every major move he made during the, how he made during the off season. Make sure you check that out on NJ.com in the sports section. But yeah, let's do this. I'm excited right. about this. All right, you go first. What's your number three? My number three. Oh wow, you're starting me off like that. Yeah. Okay, then it's a little tough. Um, my number three. Here, I, I can go yeah, first. Yeah, you, you, think. Go. <laughs> you just threw me a curveball. <laughs> go ahead. Number three might come as a little bit of surprise. Uh, just as we're talking, I thought of it. Them sticking with Sproles and sticking to the plan with Sproles. Uh, on paper, you know, it's not great to have a guy sit on the sit on the sideline for ten weeks and not put him on IR and use that roster spot. But it wound up working out okay. You know what? 
we we've both admitted that we were wrong about we Sproles. Were wrong. Um, even after the first week, I didn't know why they brought him back, and I, it, it was got to the point where I'm like, was this just out of respect for him? Was it because Doug Peterson loves him so much? And I would argue he's one of the top five reasons why they've won three games in a row. Like he's changed a lot of things on their offense, and he he opens things. Him and Nick Foles have a connection. They've played together for a while. I mean, you you, you remembered the uh, I think a couple weeks back you. When we saw how mad Nick Foles got the last time he got that mad was because somebody hit Sproles too hard. Mm-hmm. That's my teammate. <laughs> yeah, and I know Sproles, man. He's just amazing, and I think he's probably going to retire. Like, that's what my gut tells me, but I hope he doesn't because he's just so fun to watch. I agree with you completely. My number three would be claiming Craven LeBlanc. Yeah, that waiters. was the other one I thought of. Here's why. It's not just him. It's what he's done for the unit. We talked about Fletcher Cox, what he does for other people. Nickel Corner is so important in in any defensive scheme, but it's really important in Jim Schwartz's scheme because he relies so much on DBs being able to tackle well and being able to be assignment sound. And Craven LeBlanc's come in, Malcolm Jenkins and several other DBs have, have noted his intelligence and his understanding of football and the defense. He's right got a away. swagger too. He's got a swagger. He's a smart kid. Um, it's great to see him excelling, but what he's able to do is he's able to have Avante Maddox and Rasul Douglas really excel on the outside because they're they're not having to clean up tackling attempts by Dexter McDougal or even Sidney Jones for that matter. I think this is an interesting pairing. The cornerback group's played better than it has all year, and that's when you know they had Sidney, the top three guys, Sidney Jones, uh, Jalen Mills, and Ronald Darby in there. I think this unit's playing better than it did beforehand. I think Avante Maddox it's crazy to think about. Yeah. Avante Maddox has been a hell of a find, and. Rasul Doug, I can't say enough about how well Rasul Douglas has played over the last five games. I, for a second, when you said hell of a fine for Avanti Maddox, I thought you said hell of a fine. I thought you were like some NorCal guy. He's like, he's been hell of a fine at corner lately. This season. Nope, <laughs> I, that's I, not what I said. Dude, I, there was a lot of NorCal people when I went to school at Arizona and hearing hella like all the time. Like I, I hate that so much. That's the dumbest slang. Sorry, NorCal people. I, I don't mean to offend you, but I think I probably just did. <laughs> that, that story was brought to you by Thor's sister, Hella. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, anyway. Oh, boy. Okay. Go ahead. What you got for number, number two? two uh, I think we probably both have the same two and one. I went back and forth with the order of this, but I'm going to go with uh, the, the trade they made in the draft, uh, trading out of the first round. Uh, the Raven, I mean, the trade. it's one of those rare trades that works out great for both sides. Mm-hmm. Ravens ended up with Lamar Jackson. Eagles got Dallas Goddard, Devontae Maddox, and a second-round pick next year. It's a pretty remarkable package. It's huge for the future. Uh, I'll explain why I have it second when I tell you my first place one. But, I mean, Avante Maddox is the future of this secondary. He looks like an absolute stud. And I, I've been a fan of Dallas Goddard since training camp, and he's lived up to the hype. And the Eagles might have two of the best ten tight ends in the NFL next year. So, Yeah, um, yeah, we do have the same number two, so we probably have the same okay. number, number I was, one. I thought you might go with this one for number one. Um, I, I wrote about it the other day. I think it, it's really one of those trades that could – set this team up for the long term. When you look at Carson probably getting a massive extension, them having to cut a lot of really notable tenured veterans, you've got two guys here that are legit players. And I think when you look at the last two draft classes, you have at least two legit players in each. You've got Derek Barnett and Rasul Douglas, and then you've got uh, Avante Maddox and Dallas Goddard. And those guys are going to be around for a long time, one would think. Um, you also have Sidney Jones, who could be a guy. You have Jordan Melata, who could be a dude. Whatever. But to have two guys immediately contribute impact, the way huh? that they have 
um, and still have a second round pick to play with. I mean, it softens the blow of the Golden Tate trade, which they knew that when they traded. They made that trade knowing that they had the second round pick. And they, for the deadline, they could acquire somebody, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I think, again, you have this second round pick. That could be a huge negotiation tactic in trades. If you want to move up in the first round, get yourself a pass rusher, get yourself an offensive tackle, or it could help you move up early in the second round and and really be able to utilize the extra day of rest that you get for the top of the second round. Um, this team has is going to have some holes, and they're going to be along the trenches, and the Eagles believe in winning in the trenches, and I think that second round pick will pay off long term. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I predicted, I did a thing where I predicted a bunch of stuff that would happen this year, and one of the things was I think they move up in the first round, and it would probably be for either an edge rusher or a left tackle, would be my guess. That's yeah. the only thing I would trade up yeah. for. Yeah, I mean, and and if they do it, it's because they see a guy who can come in and start right away, which is what they'll need, Pro- at least at left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my, my number one, is probably your number one, is the trade for Michael Bennett. Absolutely. Uh, both in terms of, like, what they gave up, what he's contributed, and, like, just the impact right now. That's why I put it against ahead of that other trade. They traded a fifth-round pick for this dude, you know, on paper. And Marcus Johnson. And, well, yeah, Marcus Johnson was sent to them. Marcus Johnson actually looked pretty good for the Colts before he got hurt. Yep. Uh, but anyway, but uh, Michael Bennett, man, he, I mean, we've raved about him all year, nine sacks. Uh, I forget how many pressures. I think like around like 70, which is a lot. Uh, th- it was it was like, the trade was like so like lopsided when it happened that you're like, maybe something's off with him. Maybe he's on the way down. Maybe they think he's going to retire. Like, you're just like trying to convince yourself, like, why would a team only give up a guy who just made three straight pole bowls for a mm-hmm. fifth-round pick? And he just, like, in retrospect, he probably was worth a second-round pick. Like, mm-hmm. he's been dominated. I think he deserves to be a pro bowler. It's tough because there's so many good edge rushers. But the impact he's made on the defensive rota- end rotation and the fact that they lost Derek Barnett and maybe the group got even better after that because of how good Bennett's been, like, he's going to – he should be here for another year or two and he might even have earned himself a raise out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the trade, you saw the Houston incident come out – I mean, the, the Super Bowl incident come out. There were – there were other things that, you know, personality-wise. Allegedly. Wise, I should allegedly say. Um, and then, I mean, you saw kind of like the mass exodus of veterans from Seattle. So, yeah. I mean, when you saw the trade, you were like, huh? But, um, I mean, they didn't just get a fifth-round pick. They also got Marcus Johnson. <laughs> uh, but that salvage any, any criticism we have for Howie's offseason, that like just Yeah, that, I gave that an A-plus in my yeah. write-up. I think that it was – you know, it was a why not trade at the time, and he didn't get off to a great start. There were talk, when I first got in here, there was talk that you know maybe he didn't like his role, or maybe he was a little. And frustrated. I, I don't think he did. He's even talked about how hard it was to adjust to not being the starter, and he's on a different side of the line, and he's admitted that it, it was that. But it just it's turned around, and once Barnett went down, and he became the starter. Right, and they utilized him well. Uh, Chris Wilson, the defensive line coach, thinks the world of him. Um, he's obviously gotten along really well with Fletcher Cox and Chris Long and all those guys. And I think he's actually been very good for the locker room. I know I've seen some outside stuff of people criticizing him, uh, for his personality or what have you, but he's, I mean, outside of, uh, you know, trolling me when I ask a question, he's been the, he's been a, a great professional in that locker room and a great resource for a lot of the young guys. 
Joe Osman goes up to him and talks to him. Uh, Jordan Mailata, he's pulled yeah, aside. Yeah, I mean, there have been guys that he has tutored, and I don't think he's a, a loud rah-rah guy, but he's a guy who does a lot of one-on-one well, He's so mentoring. smart, too. He's like, he's he, he has a case as the smartest guy. Like, his IQ is just off the charts, both football and otherwise. For sure. And I, I again, I, well, they also have a Harvard grad in the in, in practice yeah, yeah, squad, yeah. <laughs> Anthony Fabiano. Shouts. Uh, but, yeah, he's just a really smart guy and a really smart player, and Hell of a trade by Howie. I do think he's sixth round next year. Yeah, me too. I, w- I wasn't sure at the start of the year. I thought maybe he retired, but it sounds like he wants to be in the Julius Pepper school of staying around for a while. Um, I think that's a good note to end on. Uh, covered a lot today. We're going to cover some more on Friday, then we'll get another one for you guys on Sunday in Chicago. I'm excited. I've never been to Chicago. But thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys on Friday. Bye.